0: we've been in a series as we started 2014 looking at the book of 1 Corinthians, writing God's Word. And you can kind of turn there. 1 Corinthians will be there in just a minute. But this series is a line-by-line look at what Paul was saying to the Corinthian church. We're going to take it step by step, and it's going to take some time to get through that, and we're okay with that. As we started, we talked about The fact that the church really had a lot of problems in Corinth. And how many know there's no such thing as a perfect church? Because the moment that there's a perfect church and you show up, or I show up, (laughs) we've just screwed the whole thing up, right? And that's the very truth. And the church in Corinth had a lot of problems. We've talked about that there's immorality in the ranks, they struggle with pagan practices. Uh, at the meat markets, uh, different things. They've struggled with communion. In fact, it's interesting, a little later in First Corinthians, we looked at it last week, the, when it came to communion and the Lord's Supper, they were screwing it up so bad. Paul says, it would be better if you didn't even meet. You're doing more harm than you are good. And can you imagine that being said of a church? They struggled with spiritual gifts. They struggled with the doctrine of re- the resurrection. But all these things, Paul kind of puts aside at first. and He's, he's going to get to all these things. But Paul, the author of 1 Corinthians, directed by the Holy Spirit, after a short greeting and affirmation, which we talked about on week one, he begins a discussion about division. Division in the church. And Paul understands that when division is a reality, You're no longer able to attack the mission or the vision of a church. You just can't do it. And so he focuses on unity for really chapters 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and into chapter 4. He talks about unity. Now, last week, we talked that the Corinth church was divided over personalities. Some were saying, oh, I follow Paul. Others were saying, I follow Apollo. Some were saying, I follow Cephas, which was Peter. Some were saying, I follow Christ. And all these things, different abilities, different styles, and the result in that church was that people were rallying around people instead of Christ. And last week, we also recognized that we can look at the church in Corinth, and we can even look at ourselves and say, you know what, the church, there are a lot of things that are potentially divisive that can divide a church, even like the Gateway Church. Programs can, decorations at times, personalities, and these are enemies, Or the enemies attack. When there's division, we know that the enemy is at work. And so today we're going to continue this thought of unity, to continue to talk about division. But instead of divisions over personalities, today we're going to look at division over philosophy of how things are to be done. This is interesting. The whole overriding uh, picture of uh, First Corinthian Church is that they had a struggle blending the culture that they lived in with the church, right? We talked about that. And we're going to see that the philosophy of the human thinking of the age had diluted the message, had, they had added to the message of the cross, which we're going to see here in just a second. And what was happening is the church was becoming more and more Divided. And so Paul writes these words. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to make sure everyone's got a copy of God's Word. If you don't, you can grab one on the back tables or you can you know, look on, and I think we're going to have it on the, on the screen as well. And each Sunday in this message series, we're going to stand to honor God's Word. So if you do that with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through 25 is our focus. But I want to really start in verse. 17 because it starts this line of thought listen what it says says for christ did not send me this is paul to baptize but to preach the gospel paul was all about preaching the word of god not with mere human words or human wisdom and we're going to look at what that means today lest the cross of christ be emptied of its power huge really really important there But then it continues, it says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent, will I frustrate, or I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom for in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom, did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe verse twenty two an interesting verse. We'll look at it here in a minute. Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentile. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Wow. Wow. These are incredible words. Let's pray and ask God to touch us and to reveal his word. Lord, thank you for these words in 1 Corinthians that challenge us so much. God, I pray that you would help us to not only hear your word, but then to apply it properly this week, even today. God, I pray that we'd have open hearts and open minds, and we give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You can be seated this morning. Each week as we track through 1 Corinthians, we want to bring a piece of history or culture, something that is pertinent to the, what we just read or that we will be reading along the way. And what I think is important for us to remember, which most of us probably know this, when it comes to Christ being crucified, that crucifixion was an absolutely horrible death. It was a shameful death. It was a criminal's death. In fact, it was illegal to be crucified if you were a Roman citizen. Did you know that? And so in Corinth, that was ruled by Roman guards and and, and, uh, had a lot of Roman influence they that to be crucified was a severe it was the worst of the worst and it was reserved for the worst of the worst in society and obviously it was an extreme way to die it was very public it was very you know, the punishment was was uh, horrific and i was thinking about it i was like wow is there anything in our culture that is similar to crucifixion and I, really i don't think there is the the greatest thing I could think of or the closest thing it would be maybe an electric chair. But how many know an electric chair is, uh, is something done usually behind closed doors. Very few people would even see that happen and it's so quick and it's, and it's over. But it would be like taking that electric chair and bringing it out to the uh, Capitol uh, in Lansing or something like that or in Washington, D.C. with the airing for everyone to see and then to put a slow trickle death and that's what crucifixion would have been like. It was horrible. And it was hard to accept in the early church that their Savior had been crucified, that that made sense. Thistleton, one of the commentators I've been reading, says this, no mere human in his right mind or otherwise would have dreamed up God's scheme for redemption. It is too preposterous, too humiliating for a god and we can recognize that can't we i mean the the idea of of someone being killed for our on our behalf is is crazy and so there's that piece of crucifixion that i we got to remember the other piece is that the greek influence uh in corinth was absolutely huge it was heavy for hundreds of years they loved philosophy People rallied around philosophers, and rhetoric was admired, and debate was esteemed, and they would gather in the, uh, uh, in the different corridors of the city, and they would talk and talk and talk. In fact, one, uh, one uh, passage I saw this week is that in Corinth, there was at least 50 philosophies about the meaning of life, and they would get together, and they would debate each other over these things. And when I say philosophy, that word in the Greek is broke down into two words. Phileo, which, what does that mean? Does anyone know? Love, right? And then Sophia... Which means wisdom. So it's the love of wisdom. And it's really captured what was happening in Corinth uh, as well as in Athens. Turn with me to Acts chapter 17. Listen to this description of what the church was doing. All right? Verse 21 says this It says, all the Athenians and all the foreigners who lived there, or you could put in there all of the Corinthian church because it's identifying the exact same issue, okay? who lived there, they spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. They would get together and they would talk and talk and philosophize, and they would have their things. And you know what? I was you know, kind of like, okay, you know, we don't see that all that much, but I think we do in this culture. We actually, I believe, we are enamored with philosophy Everybody has an opinion, right? And everybody's opinion counts in the American culture. What about talk radio, where anyone can just get on and just talk? Or there's experts in all kinds of areas. And even one of my heroes—I uh, hate to say it—but you know, Dave Ramsey. You know, you think about Dave Ramsey. You know, of course, I, I believe he's you know following some biblical uh, biblical mandate. But when it comes to finances, but he gets on the radio and says whatever he wants. <laughs> He talks and talks and people will listen because we, we value philosophy, whether we think we do or not. And what was happening in the church in Corinth is people were getting saved. They were becoming Christ followers, but then they were dragging their human philosophies into the church. Can you see what's happening? And I think we do this too. We bring our ideas about finances, or our ideas about leadership, or we bring in our ideas uh, politically, whether we're Democrat or Republican or Independent, and what all of those things do, when we bring in those human ideas, there is potential that the church will be divided over those things. And at the root of all of this, as I studied this and kind of dug a little deep, is what was happening? They were elevating opinion. The church was elevating human opinion, and we see that all throughout 1 Corinthians. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. We see that when it comes to ministry. Again, we see some are saying, I follow Paul. Some say, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere men? They were saying, look, we like what he says, but not so much what he says. Or we like what, uh, what the commentary is in this way or the other ways. If you turn to chapter 5, verse 1, we see that this, this uh, elevated opinion, this human opinion was seen in regards to immorality. Look what it says. It said, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not even occur among pagans. Come on in the church and we're going to get there we'll look at that and study that but what how does that happen it happens when people bring in human thinking and blend it with god's word and we see it again in chapter 6 verse 1 in regards to disputes it says if any of you has a dispute with one another dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints So they're having these disputes in the church and they're going outside of the church and saying, hey, we've got this issue, can you help us? Instead of going to godly saints, they were elevating human opinion. We see it in chapter 8, verse, uh, verse 11, uh, in regards, this is uh, uh, the context here, is they're talking about food, sacrifice, to idols, and all these things. And listen to what it says. So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. They're bringing in their thoughts, their knowledge into the context here. And what it was doing, it was causing other people to stumble. Holy smokes. This is huge. This was a huge issue in the church. And even in chapter 15, verse 12, we see it in regards to the resurrection. This last verse we'll kind of flip to real quick here. Listen to what it says. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What are we, or what we are, is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. Wow. I just read the wrong verse. (laughs) I'm like, that didn't make all that much sense. (laughs) 15, verse 12. But if it is preached, (laughs) I'm like, wow, okay. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? They had experienced, this is the first century church. They had seen the resurrection. They had seen Jesus. But they're saying, you know what? Maybe that's not quite right. And maybe we're going to add to this or we're going to delude the message a little in regards to that. And what happened is there was misunderstanding of scripture in the early church, first century. And so you buy, combine that with the whole idea of crucifixion, right, in, the, in Corinth, and the modern thinking of human thinking. And uh, it was either Fee or Thistleton. I, I, I wrote it down. I, I didn't go back to look. But this is what they're saying, what one of the commentators said, is that the Corinthians would have re, they would have recognized that crucifixion was too humiliating and may have moved on to deeper things they're saying we're going to leave that and we're going to focus on some other things but then i love what fee says i think it was fee it says but to move beyond the cross get this church is not to move on at all but to abandon christ and that's what was happening so paul brings corinth back to what really counts in church what really counts is unity not personalities personalities don't matter it's unity It's not philosophy that matters, it's unity. And by the way, if philosophy is right, it'll line up with God's word, right? And when it's wrong, it disagrees with scripture. So where should we turn? We should turn to God's word first. And I'm not dissing, uh, you know, counseling or, or, you know, uh, great thinkers, but we got to be careful. And he's bringing them back saying, you know what is most important is unity. And the church was divided and he's saying, you know what? It's in Christ alone. When we read this passage, when we look at this, it's in Christ alone. That's all that matters. This actual thought of God's wisdom is actually taken through till chapter 2, verse 5. And we're going to come and look at uh, as part 2 next week of God's wisdom and how it's supreme to God's view. But what's happening here is there's two views. There's God's view and there's man's view. In man's view, it's shallow, it's short-sighted, it's unrealistic, it's proud, and it's treated, and we have to treat it very carefully. We have to recognize that. That, yeah, there's some value, but we've got to be careful And on the other side is God's view. It's pure, it's powerful, it's insightful. And we're going to look at four or five different reasons why God's wisdom is supreme. Everyone say that with me. God's wisdom is supreme. And so you can read ahead and maybe kind of see where we're going to go at, uh, next week, or in the next couple of weeks, where we're going to go. But today I want to focus on one reason why God's Word is, or why God's wisdom is supreme. And it, that is because of its power. It's its power. It's permanent. It stands the test of time. It, the cross, within the cross, is where we find the power. And so Let's look at verse 18, and we're going to kind of walk uh, step by step through this. And so it says this. It says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Now, I looked up that word and what that means, foolishness, in the Greek. The Greek word is moria in Greek, which is where we get our word moron. And so you could put this, all right? To the world, it's stupid or moronic. You could say, for the message of the cross is moronic to those who are perishing. You say, well, how is that? If it's the right message, why to those who are perishing? Why is it so much trouble? And turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. We're going to see why that is the case. Look what it says. It says, the God of this world, or the God of this age... That's the enemy. That's who wants to, uh, to, to seek and uh, kill and destroy us. Listen to what it says. It says, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of Jesus Christ. And so what we see here is that there are blinders on the unbelieving hearts. So they can't see the mysteries of God. And the world... From the outside they're saying boy it is moronic to think of the cross as anything special and the truth is when you come to christ there is an illumination in the spirit isn't there something has to be revealed to us through the power of the holy spirit some would say man the cross is too simple the death of one man on one tree or one piece of wood determines the destiny of all mankind that's hard to understand that's hard to get our mind i sink our mind into but listen what it says at the end there of verse 18 it says but to those who are being saved it is the power of god it's in the cross that we find the power i've often prayed over people that i know that are far away from god neighbors friends relatives and i've often said lord reveal yourself to so-and-so. And I told you the story about my friend that lived next door, and I used to visit him. Uh, I still visit him almost every Sunday night. He's 84 year old, eighty-four years old now. He comes to our men's breakfasts. Some of the men know him, Daryl. But what's so cool is I would, for years, I would go to his house on Sunday night. We'd watch sports or poker or, uh, you know, who's smarter than a fifth grader? <laughs> you know, we'd watch all these things. And I'd pray with him before he left because we talked about it. He had never given his heart to the Lord for 82 years. And I'd pray with him. Say, and this is what I pray almost every Sunday night. And uh, Darrell, if he was here this morning, would tell you this, this is the truth. I'd say, God, reveal yourself to Darrell. What that's saying is, God, take the blinders off because the cross and the whole idea of crucifixion is, seems so foolish it seems so ridiculous so archaic but god remove those blinders so that Daryl can see and that others can see and we pray that and it's the power of god coming alive when that happens now verse 19 it says this and this is a cool verse it says for it is written i will destroy the wisdom of the wise the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. See, say, what is that about? Well, that goes back to Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14. You can take the time to read it later. But what's happening here, the backdrop is that Hezekiah is leading the children of Israel. They are under attack. And it looks like there is absolutely no hope for the children of Israel. And God says, I will deliver not because of your wisdom or your plan he says i will do it my way incredible and god wipes out in one night 180,000 of the enemy and it is such a cool story and i was meditating on that and i was saying god oh you know where's you know what how does that apply to me or how does that apply to our church and you know what god showed me this week we're, we're praying for a new facility for a new opportunity uh, to be to have a larger place to, to be able to continue to grow but which, which by the way we're still growing uh, last week was incredible this week we'll be well over 200 and uh, it's exciting what God is doing around here but we're fasting and praying saying God show us your plans and what God t- spoke to me it's God's wisdom what we need the human wisdom would say go you know, borrow money and, and uh, you know, put something up. Or, you know, if you build it, they'll come. Or you're knocking on all these doors. And you know what? You know what God is saying? He's saying, I, I believe He spoke to me. He says, I'm going to do it my way. You just be faithful. Amen. And we want to be listening. And we, got, we want you to be praying with us, believing for a miracle. But it's going to be God's way. And we're going to walk that out. And it's not always the easiest. It's not always understandable in the human eye. I wasn't planning on saying this, but I was coming back from Lansing on uh, this past Monday, uh, went there with my son for a fourth grade trip, and a buddy of his uh, dad had drove, and so he said, and he lives in our neighborhood, and I said, I said hey, can I get a ride? We'd get, we got home an hour and a half earlier than we would have. It was awesome. But I was telling him some of the story, and he says, well, why don't you just go to the bank and borrow some money? And why don't you just start to build? And I had to explain to him, you know, boy, I've seen this or I heard this. And, but the, the bottom line is that's not what God's calling us to do. And so, anyway, uh, enough on that. So, so what God is saying here, he's saying, look, my wisdom is going to be supreme. And there's power when it comes to that. In verse 20, he continues that line of thinking. Uh, he drives the point home. Listen to what it says. He says, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? (laughs) Listen, we could line up the best of the best. The best thinkers, the most influential people that you can think of, and they could not solve man's problem. Our greatest need, church, is our sin problem. And without Christ... There is no solution. There's no solution for the prospect of judgment outside of Christ. False religions will try to to come up with things that are confusing and hard or the futility of human thinking, but the reality is our hope is found in Christ alone. And it's found in the power of the cross. You say, why is this so important? Why is Paul taking the time here to do this? Why are we you know harping on this idea this is what i believe i believe that the church the american church maybe not the gateway church but has moved away from this truth man's wisdom is on display in every area within the church We want to counsel, we want to talk about it, we want to focus on the gifts of the Spirit or angels or prosperity or grace, anything but the cross. Because the cross is offensive and it doesn't make sense to the unbelieving mind unless God reveals it. And that's what we're seeing here. But church, the message of the cross is so foundational. We must stand on the cross because it's the cross that delivers an addict from drugs and alcohol or from other things it's the cross that saves a marriage that makes the difference stands in the gap it's the cross that will set people free i was talking with a friend of mine that uh this week that is pretty well versed in the 12 steps and uh and he's been involved with that for many years and and uh, I was just curious, I was asking them about it, and there's actually quite a bit, if you're familiar, I, I was, I was kind of enlightened this week, but uh, that the 12 steps is really based out of God's Word, a lot of it, um, but, but there's human thinking and different things in it, and there's these 12 steps, and if you go through those, the, the, the chances for recovery is pretty strong, and, and so I was talking with them about this, and I walked away, and I was, like, I was kind of intrigued by the whole process, but I was like, you know what? When did the 12 steps start? Back in the 1940s or 1950s, something like that. And the cross has been there, and the word of God has been there for 2,000 years before that. And so many people have turned and say, oh, this is your salvation, this is how to get, get freedom, or this is how to do it, whatever. And I would say, no, no, it's the cross. You can't pull the cross out. If you do, it's human opinion. Human thinking. And that's why Paul says, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of salvation. God's wisdom is supreme because of its power. It's the cross that saves. It's the cross that delivers. It's the cross that takes people from death to life. And what I love, I was one commentator wrote without the cross, we are just rearranging dead man's bones. We're whitewashing tombs, he said. There's nothing more important than the cross. Let's continue. Let's look at verse 21. Verse 21 says this. says, for since the wisdom of God so, since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. What's the same? Again, it's measuring human wisdom versus God's wisdom. And I was thinking about it this week, about technology and the different advancements. I mean, we're pretty sophisticated in society. But as sophisticated as we are, as much technology as we have, can we recognize that we are still a wicked people? We're still selfish. We're still uh, apart from God. And the point I think here is that man's wisdom could not know God but it's through wisdom and revelation that when we believe and take a step of faith that we can experience the power of the cross the gospel is not for those who can figure it out in other words there's not a formula that a plus b equals c to follow and some people that drives them crazy I've known people that have tried to figure it out completely before they take a step of faith and just believe. And maybe you have too. Maybe you know people. And what we got to do is we got to direct them back to the cross. Let's look at verse 22. Very interesting verse. It says, Jews demanded miraculous signs and Greeks looked for wisdom. What's this about? well the jews they were a culture that uh, when it came to spiritual things they were used to seeing god move in some powerful ways the red sea was split jericho the walls fell down the 10 plagues and so they were down for a long time at this point they had been looking for a mighty deliverer and in the past when god would work they'd see these great works and so they figured it out that hey We're going to experience Exodus part two. We're going to see some incredible things, right? And when Jesus came to earth, what happened? He did some miracles. He actually did quite a few. And they're saying, hey, if you do miracles, we'll believe. Well, Jesus did miracles. In the Jewish culture, they were the last to believe. They did not believe. And I could just say, miracles, church, are incredible God wants to do miracles. I believe in a miracle-working God, a healing God. But you know what? Miracles will not save anyone. Miracles, actually the greatest miracle is salvation, that God would take a sinner and take away our sins, and it's pretty incredible. So what's happening here? Okay, so the the Jews, they're they're saying, hey, we want to see a miracle. The Greeks, they get caught up with wisdom, don't they? They're saying, not a sign. We want to figure it out. God comes to a man, uh, comes to earth as a man. I don't understand that. And so they have a hard time wrapping their mind around it. But Paul says, look, it may frustrate the Jews. It's a, uh, uh, it's a foolish to, foolishness to the Gentiles. But we preach, verse 23, we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block, by the way, to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. Again, to the Jews, this was hard to understand. They couldn't sink their teeth into it. It was hard to believe. And they would look at verses like Isaiah 53 and they would deny those or they would would, just wouldn't deal with them. Back then and even Jews today, that don't believe in the Messiah. And for the Gentiles, it was foolishness. It was moronic. It didn't make sense. But, verse 24, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, you can put your name in there too, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, what this is saying? There are those that God has called, that are elected, that God has, has plucked out and said, "You you are my son and my daughter and Christ, He became power, He became the sign, and He became the wisdom, He became the understanding. And if you know this truth, if it's been revealed to you, if the blinders have come off in your life, did you know? That you are the wisest person in the world? You have something that the world cannot understand. You're wise. And what we see here is this beautiful picture. And it wraps up in verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Think about it. Man at his absolute best is nothing in regards to God's wisdom. God's wisdom is supreme. It's supreme. In, this, in these first few verses here, we see that it's the power of the cross. It's the cross and it's the power there. And for those that don't know Jesus You don't have to understand it all. For those of of you that know people that don't know Jesus, you can say to them, look, you don't have to figure it all out. I don't have it all figured out. There are times I will think, how in the world could God love me? A sinner, someone that, that has messed up and keeps on messing up, but God continues not only to save, but he continues to use me. And I think about that and i've shared parts of my story at different times and i'm saying wow how how is that possible but i know god does he loves and that truth alone has changed my life and it will change your life it is the power of god for us as a church our sophistication is nothing all the things that we do, lights and sound and all these things, uh, we have to be careful that we are not stopping relying on the power of God, on the power of the Christ uh, of the cross. If we pursue anything else, church, we will rob the cross of its power. And I don't want to do that. I don't think any of us want to do that. Brennan, I want you to come, and we're, there's two takeaways that have really kind of risen to the top for me when I think about these verses. And they really deal with the cross and its power. Number one, it brings unity. The cross, the power of the cross will bring unity. It says in the Bible that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. To the Jews, the cross seemed like this judgmental, shameful thing, but now... We can look at the cross with the blinders off and say, wow, the cross, there's wisdom in that. We no longer have to think of Plato or rhetoric or in our today's society, we don't look to university or Fox News or science. No, we look to the cross. And within the cross, there's incredible unity. A friend of mine, and we were talking this week about this and he said, you know what the cross is? He says the cross is the great humbler. He says it's the great equalizer. It doesn't matter if your IQ is 90 or 180, you still come to God through the cross. And yes, the cross is offensive. And to the world's eye, the culture that we live in, it seems irrelevant in so many ways. People will say, How can you believe that nonsense? Are you stupid? Are you archaic? I'd say, (laughs) yep. It may sound crazy, but it's true. And then I could say confidently, it's the power of a cross that will save you. Right? And think about it. When you think about that and you put it into perspective, doesn't that take the pressure off of you sharing the gospel? Because God, he will defend his own idea, won't he? And we can stand and we can defend the cross with God. And the pressure's off. We don't have to figure it out. And yes, it may seem foolish to the first century believers. It may seem foolish to those who have not had the blinders taken off. But the ultimate is that the cross will bring. That's what the context of, of what 1 Corinthians really starting here to talk about division. But there's a second thing that I think is really important uh, takeaway for us is that the cross and the power of the cross is God's answer to our sin problem. Let me just let that sink in for a second. The cross is God's answer to our sin problem. And I, what I see more and more, and I can even be sus- suspect to this, is that within the church and even outside of the church, what happens is we minimize the need where we are. We are fallen. We're broken. We are lost without Jesus. See, so how is that possible? Well, the Bible talks about an enemy to the cross. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. Listen to this. This is really insightful. It says, for as I have often told you before and now again, even in tears. This is Paul writing to the Philippian church. He says, many live as enemies of Christ. Many live as enemies to the cross of christ their destiny is destruction their god is their stomach and their glory is in their shame their mind is on earthly things what i see there is that it's worldly thinking worldly opinion that has got the best of people and it's an enemy to the cross when our minds are on earthly things and we try to integrate that into the church or what the word of God says we're no better off than where the Corinthian church was and I believe God wants to reveal himself he wants to help us with our sin problem he wants to bring us what Paul's doing he's bringing them back to the foot of the cross And this morning I want to bring you to that place to the foot of the cross and I want everyone to bow your head and close your eyes. and you don't want to be moving around right now, just hang with me for a second here. As I'm sharing this morning, if the Lord's been speaking to your heart and you're saying, boy, I am away from God. I don't know what you're talking about. Or maybe these blinders are just coming off and you're just experiencing this revelation and you're saying, man, I may not understand it all, but but I I need to embrace it. I need to accept it. If that's you this morning, and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, and you'd like to respond this morning, say yes to Jesus. Would you just slip up your hand right where you are? Who this morning would respond that way? Yeah, thanks. Who else? Yes, thank you. Yeah. Who else this morning saying, man, Blinders are coming off. I need a savior. I need Jesus in my life. Who else? Yeah, thanks. Yeah. It's incredible. That's what God does. He's revealing Himself even this morning. Anyone else? We got three. Yeah, thanks, brother. Four. Yeah. I'm not going to embarrass those that raise their hands, but I want you to know that we love you. And God loves you. We want to see you fully committed to to what God's word says. And what God's word says is that we are all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. And You may have heard that before. But the beauty of what we're talking about is that Jesus died on the cross. And when he did so, he took our sin on his back for the four that raised their hands and maybe others that didn't we need to recognize that what Jesus did 2,000 years ago he did for this moment right here, right now and we're grateful for that so we embrace that and I'm going to ask that the congregation and those four as well would repeat a prayer after me it's not the words of the prayer that save you but I believe it's a magical prayer it's a miracle prayer Because if you believe what we're about to say, that's what it takes to believe in Jesus Christ. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, you are saved. No questions. And no matter what you've done or where you've been, God has saved you. And he's saved you, like Brendan was saying earlier, from your... Past sins, to the sins that you may commit today, to certainly the sins that you're going to commit in the future. They're all covered. Isn't that beautiful? So let's pray. Everyone together. Say, Dear Jesus, please come into my heart and save me. I believe that you died on the cross. And even though it doesn't make sense completely, I'm putting my faith in you that when you died on that cross, you took my sin so that I could live forever. Come into my heart. Cleanse my life. Put me on the right path. In Jesus' name, amen. For those that raise their hands, I've got a, a, a gift I want to give to each of you. So before you leave, book. Uh, it's called The New Life and uh, just it's a great tool to think about your first steps or uh, or maybe if you're coming back to the Lord, it kind of gets you back on track and uh, really important. I, I've got uh, some books in, in the back. Um, I think they're in the back there, Greg, if you could grab those and make sure I don't forget that. But I want you to do one more thing with me. I want you to stand with me and uh I think if I took a poll this morning, especially after the, the word that we've read, I don't think there is be anybody that says, yeah, I'd take God's wisdom, and, uh, uh, or I'd take man's wisdom, I'm sorry, over God's wisdom, right? I mean, that would be stupid, right? But even though we acknowledge that, that yes, we want God's wisdom, we let a lot into our brains from the human side, just like the church in Corinth. And I believe we need to guard our minds and our hearts and guard our families and guard this church from outside, from human opinion and really keep God's word as a, as a standard, amen? It's just interesting how God put that together, that today's core value was God's word. Isn't that cool? And we're highlighting God's word. We're saying, look, this is the standard. That's the core values. That's what keeps us going in the right direction. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to take your copy of God's word, even if it's just your tablet or whatever. I want you to put it on your heart. If you don't have a Bible, just put your hand on your heart. I know Pete did this second service. I did this first service, and then you did that. Pete, hey, put your hand on it. Were you stealing my? Th- he was, he was, okay. But This is what I want. This is what I want. I want to declare over us some affirmations about God's word in our lives and as we leave here today that we would highlight the cross of Christ and keep that central in our lives. That's the heart behind this. So repeat this after me. Say, dear Lord, help me to make your word priority. Your wisdom above man's wisdom and help me to see what you have for me in your word Keep it the standard. Put a hedge of protection around me and my family and around this church. And help us, Lord, to grow together in unity. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. That's my heart for us, that we would go from here in the grace of God in unity. This morning, you are dismissed to go in the grace of God uh, if the altars are open, if you need prayer for anything, need to be anointed, uh, we've got those gifts. Thank you. And I'll get those out here in just a minute. But otherwise, go on the grace of God. We love you. And we'll see you tonight for Connect 3.